Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Very, very excited to welcome on our next guest. It's legendary Boston sports writer and columnist Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe and also the author of a new book that is coming out as of November 16th about the uh, kind of the old style NBA. It's called Wish It Lasted Forever. Dan, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. I appreciate you being with me. Um, first off, a little story time here. Uh, I think it was 2017 in February. Um, I was at Radio Row for the first time covering their Super Bowl by myself. No producer, no nothing. And I think you were my first guest at that wow. Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl on that Monday. So I've always appreciated that. Well, that was one of the great Super Bowl weeks. You know, we had a lot of fun there. That was the one in Houston, right? Yeah, that was the one in Houston. Yeah, twenty-eight. We call that the twenty-eight to three game, and you know why. But that was a, that was a great way for you to get your uh, career launched. Uh, doing that down there, that was tremendous. Yeah, that was fun, and I always appreciated the time you spent with me that day. So, uh, the new book again called "Wish It Lasted Forever." Um, kind of about the changing face of journalism and coverage and covering a league, et cetera. What inspired you to write the book? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question because uh, you know there's been a lot of uh, with the pandemic everything's the pandemic and of course at the beginning of this people said oh in nine months there's going to be all these pandemic babies and they're like no nine months is going to be all these books coming out you know because <laughs> everybody's home all the time and that's what you're going to get and in my case you know the last dance was was airing it was must see TV every Sunday night because we didn't have games for a long time yeah. so seeing that Michael Jordan era and the great NBA of the 80s and 90s. And then remembering my time covering the team. And then in Boston, we were getting all the Celtic classics being on, the, the 30 for 30 on Celtics Lakers and 86 Celtics that Comcast produced. And, and again, looking at those videos, I'm seeing my 28-year-old self with my giant glasses and giant <laughs> hair and, and right there next to the bench because in those days, the NBA hadn't figured out you could sell those seats for $5,000. They, they had the lowly writers in those seats. And we were like, this is the greatest. We could hear everything. And and the way that we covered the team then, there was no social media. They they kind of needed the coverage, and they were accommodating. We travel with them, commercial. It wasn't the swanky charters and four star hotels. There's a scene in this book where I'm, you know, there's a Holiday Inn. The Celtics stayed at a Holiday Inn in Richfield, <laughs> Ohio. You know, with the little bars of soap that are like this, and, and the vending machine out in the lobby, and it's kind of a rank place. And I'm. I'm at the bar with Larry Bird and Quinn Buckner trying to buy him drinks. It's this very awkward scene. The Globe excerpted it as, as a book excerpt this week. It'll be in the Sunday magazine. But, you know, we travel with them. We rode commercial buses to the practice, um, stayed in the hotels, you know, bars at night, um, the whole Megillah. So you really were able to tell the readers what they were like. And it struck me when, when sports finally came back in 2020, you had the COVID bubble. And I know that the Globe had to spend $55,000 to send somebody to the bubble. Guy gets quarantined for two weeks, and he has to sign a waiver saying you won't talk to anybody if you see him away from the gym. Well, that's where we did all of our best work, waiting for bags, being in bar rooms, you know, waiting for the bus to pick us up, all that stuff, because we were with them all the time. They're not today. That's nobody's fault. But no one's ever going to know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown the way we knew Larry Bird and Dennis Johnson. That's just the way it was. In the course of the pandemic, we've realized that we can do so much remotely. Teams and broadcast networks have evidently realized the exact same thing. Do you think we're ever going to get that level of access that you used to have back? No, that's going away. It's not coming back. I mean, really, it, it affects so many things. Like when you're watching the Sox playing the Whites, you know, playing in Detroit, like Jerry Remy, well, God bless his soul, Dennis Eckersley, 
Dave O'Brien, they're not there. They're in Watertown watching the game. Saying you're, they're watching it on TV just like you are. So, and I think that we're seeing this with, with the Bruins, like Jack Edwards is not out there with the Bruins. You know, they'll do the home games now, but those guys, and it's Nesson saving money. And the Celtics flagship, they're saving money. They don't have Scal going to, you know, on the road to Orlando or whatnot. So it's a diminished coverage, and there aren't that many people with the teams. And when they are, the moat is there, and that access isn't coming back. It's just, you know, once they learn how to do it. I mean, the NFL is kind of first to take away very restricted locker room access. This play will be made available. In the old days, they didn't make anybody available. You just went up to a guy's locker and tried to get something that only you had. And to learn about it, like we would know a lot more about what's going on with these Celtics this year under the old rules of media coverage, because you'd have people with them all the time. Instead, no one's with them. So you don't know if Smart and Brown hate each other, Tatum and Smart, Brown and Tatum, whatever. It's like all those dynamics. We could tell you what was going on because we were there. And now it's, it's just a rumor and it's a lot of misreporting and just it's nobody's fault. You just can't get near them. Dan Shaughnessy, the Boston Globe, and the author of the book, Wish It Lasted Forever, a memoir about kind of the past life of the NBA out nationally on November 16th. Um, how, as a journalist, how do you feel now about the athletes controlling the narrative themselves, whether it's you know their own podcast, <laughs> social media channels, the Players' Tribune? They have the ability to do that now. It makes me sad. It makes me happy that I got to do it when we did have some, you know, it mattered what we thought and wrote. And we knew things because we could discover them on our own. You could be rewarded for doing your own work. Now it's a lot of aggregation, a lot of picking up something that, you know, general press conferences, you can't do your own work and develop a relationship with Bill Belichick or Tom Brady or Mac Jones or whoever, because all you get is the, is the Pentagon press conference where the guy's up there and everybody gets the same questions and answers and it's shared information. Well, you learn better when you're getting individual information and doing your own work. And that's kind of gone away now And the aggregation. And, and like you say, for people to be connecting athletes, to be connecting directly with, with their constituents, they, they don't need us. And I understand that. I don't, I don't bitch about it, complain about it. It's Bay at the moon. Hey, this is evolution. This is the way it's gone. I'm just glad I got to do it at a time when it was fun and we really learned something and we could tell you the readers and, and bands, what was going on with these guys. You mentioned the story, you, Quinn Buckner, and Larry Bird at the bar. Give me another good story from the book. Oh, my God. It was like, well, Larry, they called me Scoop. So Larry and I was, uh, you know, they didn't trust me too much. It's easy to understand why. But I, I'd walk into the locker room and he'd say, Scoop, do you ever notice how quiet it gets when you walk in here? And and there was truth to that. And, of course, he, he was a, a hustler. He was always trying to take your money. And we got scenes where it's – you know, he, he's just shoot for money was Larry Bird's his existence, reason for existence. He just loved to take your money. He had that. He grew up poor. He never lost that hunger for the dollar. And, and he took he took several of ours. Roll forward to 85, 86. A lot of us are having young families. I was in my late 20s. I brought my my baby girl on the on the Celtic plane. We're flying to Detroit commercial Northwest Airlines. So the players are all in first class. And my wife's from Michigan. And we had grandparents wanting to see their one-year-old baby granddaughter. I'm like, I'll take Sarah with me with the Celtics and we'll get to Michigan. If they want to pick her up at the airport, they can have her for a couple of days. Then we fly back. I'll bring her back. I'll just shuttle the baby. And it uh, seemed like a good idea. The grandparents are waiting in Detroit on the other end. And so I board Saturday morning. I get on board and, you know, it's Walton and McHale and 
Larry and DJ, and they're all in that front section because they get first class, fortunately for them. And uh, Mikhail, he stops. He goes, he goes, Scoop, what are you doing with that baby girl here? I'm going to call DSS. This isn't right. You know, and he says, you know, you got, he says, this is your first baby. I can tell by you're being so careful. He says, you know, they laid it. Mikhail's had five children eventually. He said, you get that second baby, that third baby, you know, first one, you're, you're sterilizing the pacifier and everything's got to be perfect and no bacteria. He says, by the time you have that third baby, you're just letting the dog lick off the pacifier. You can, you can get by with that. And then they took my baby girl and they passed her around. Bill Walton's head was bigger than my daughter's whole body at that time. I mean, he was a giant, legitimate giant. So that was the kind of familiarity and just looseness that, that existed in those days. You know, when I think of you, I think of you as an opinionist and a columnist. Um, do you miss being a beat reporter who's there in the trenches every day in one place? Well, that's that's like being a rancher or a farmer. That's hard work. I mean, you're yeah. responsible. You wake up, you wake up worried about what the competition has. I used to go to I'd get the Boston Herald delivered along with the Globe every day, and I'd I'd cringe going out to my my doorstep in the morning what the Herald was going to have that I didn't have because it really mattered. It was so competitive, and and you're just. And the beat guys today with the internet, they're online, they're on message 24-7. There's never a deadline and it's over because in the internet, there's always another internet story to write. It goes right out there. So it's it's harder now. And uh, and plus the restrictions are harder. They don't get to the access that we had. And uh, it's frustrating. Like covering the Patriots, you know, I mean, they're frustrating to start with because, you know, they, they conduct themselves like – very secretive and um, Bill's not going to help you a lot and not being able to get relationships with the players and the, the restrictions, stay away from here. Don't go here. Stay out of that room. Again, we were just, we were everywhere they were. So it was easier than, and it's really long hours and hard days and no thank you to that life again. <laughs> I, I did it enough years. Thank you. I wanted to get your thoughts on Jerry Remy. You mentioned him a little while ago. Um, you've covered him for a long time, player and as a media personality now for the better part of 30 years. Just your thoughts on the passing of Jerry Remy. Again, I, I'm just uh, one year younger than him. So when he was at Somerset High School in 1970, Globe Scholastic, all Scholastic baseball player. And uh, five years later, he's playing second base behind Nolan Ryan for a no-hitter against the Orioles. <laughs> so that's a meteoric rise in baseball. A kid from Somerset, Mass. He was a really good player. And uh, it, it, it bothered me a little bit that he was very self-deprecating in the booth. And he was good. And he was an all-star second base in the American League. Biggest game of his life. He got two hits against Rich Gossage in a Hall of Fame game that had Reggie Jackson, Carlton Fisk, Jim Rice, Yaz. But Jerry Remy got the two big hits off Gossage in the late innings. He was good. As a broadcaster, you know, everybody loved him because he comes into your living room every night all those years. Again, the self-deprecating humor. Uh, he picked me up hitchhiking in 1980. Like, who else can say that? You know, Jerry Remy picked me up hitchhiking. It was just a random thing on Route 128 in Boston. And when we went to Japan in 2008, Jerry, like myself, did not like new things, new foods, new cultures. We were afraid of everything, ugly Americans. And uh, they had a charter take the whole group over. And there was a lot of candy bars and stuff on the charter. And Jerry and I were hoarding those candy bars, putting them into, <laughs> into plastic bags so we'd have – American food once we got to Japan. And then there was magically there was a Trader Vicks in the in the, the Tokyo Otani Hotel. So instead of going out and eating the local foods and sampling the local cultures, we would just go to Trader Vicks and get General Gao's chicken every night and drink Mai Tais because you knew what you were getting. <laughs> well, that's a great story about a great man. So Dan Shaughnessy, longtime Boston sports personality, writer at the Boston Globe, and the book is called Wish It Lasted Forever. 
out nationally November 16th. So, Dan, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. And you can order it online today on Amazon. Brady, thank you very much for helping out. Good luck with the show.